0: Hello, thanks for listening to this week's new episode. Quick favour to ask, anyone who missed last week's episode will have missed me, begging for everyone to go to nextgreatpodcast.com, where you can vote for my podcast pilot, Development Hell, which is currently competing to go to series against nine other podcast pilots. I mean, you're welcome to listen to all of them and pick your favourite, or, you know, if you just want to do me a favour, just go and vote for Development Hell, It's literally about three clicks, no sign-up or anything like that, and it would be massively, massively, massively appreciated. Very beneficial to myself and to Diminishing Returns as well. So please, if you're a fan of the show, do go and vote. The last day for voting is the 8th of December, so you have just over one day from the point that this goes up. So anyone who listens to this right away, I assume that means you're a big fan and I can count on your vote. Just to reiterate, that's nextgreatpodcast.com and vote for Development Hell. Thank you very much, everyone. Now, here is the episode.
1: Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, the podcast where we discuss films, basically that's what we do, and today we have the OG crew, that's right, it's me, Alan, I've got Sol over there, hello, and joining us is Calvin. Hello, thank you for having me again. Oh, uh, we, we always have you anytime, Calvin, you know that. So, <laughs> I'm going to uh, pass over to my good friend Sol here, because Sol, you are going to tell us why... This week we are doing Monsters Inc.
0: Uh we we did one of those Patreon vote polls. Oh. That's that's the short version. Uh yeah, Disney Pixar are releasing their new film, Soul. Uh finally. It's coming out straight to Disney Plus on the twenty fifth of December, is that right? Christmas Day or is it Christmas Eve? Christmas Day,
2: I believe. And is that worldwide or is that just in the States as of recording?
0: I was under the impression it was worldwide, but that might not be. They're they're releasing
2: in theatres where theatres are open, but I don't know where that
0: is. (laughs) But unlike unlike Mulan, this isn't a premium thing. This is something that is just going on Disney Plus for everyone. You don't have to pay any extra money, I believe. So I'll be signing up for Disney Plus uh, for December.
2: Well, there might be something to the fact that Disney Plus launched in November of last year and they had a $60 you could, or whatever it was in America, you could sign up for a year's worth of the uh, streaming yeah. service. And so people are going to be coming up to their renewal yes, times again. Yes, yes. Maybe. I don't know if that's the reason. but Because Soul is a bit of a casualty of the pandemic, really, isn't it? I mean, this yeah, should no, have been so. out in theatres, but it's not. It's going yeah. straight to the streaming service. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I mean, this this is that classic loss leader, non-sustainable thing, you know, Netflix do a few of these each year, big prestige, we're putting way more money into this than we can really justify because we might get an Oscar out of it type movies. I suppose this is at that level, you know, it's a real quote-unquote movie with a real budget that was meant to go out in cinemas and and i must say i i can't wait for soul i I think it's um it's got a very very strong chance of being my favorite film of the year not that that's a huge achievement in 2020
2: it sounds very in the same vein of um, Inside Out, which I thought would have been a more appropriate film
1: for us to talk about in relation to this. uh, Well, you may think that, Calvin, but democracy (laughs) is is a strange beast, and you don't always get what you want. Uh, We Mm, could have demanded a recount. Yes, well, we wanted to do a Pixar film to, to build up to soul, so we put it to our patrons. We... Took out the option of the ones we've already covered. Uh, which so what's done a that? Few Toy episodes?
0: Story trilogy. We've done Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Uh,
1: Is that we've it? Done quite a few.
0: They voted for Monsters Inc. It was tight though. It was it was a real battle. It, it went between um, initially Monsters Inc. ran away with it, but then Wally mounted a, a kind of mm. late comeback. Uh, yeah, Monsters Inc. did win, but there wasn't much in it.
1: Right, so, Monsters, Inc., uh, what is it, 2001? Uh-huh. Yes. Where were we in the life of Pixar? Obviously, Toy Story, Bug's Life. Very early on. That's it? Isn't it? Is that isn't it? What, is this the next one?
0: Toy Story 2. Oh,
1: yeah. This is a
2: phase in of Pixar history that I must say I'm not overly keen on, which is why I'm surprised that this one won, actually, because I didn't think that people were terribly fond of this property. Uh, really? When I think of people Pixar.
0: Monsters, Inc.
2: I, I've never really understood it. When I think of Pixar high point, I think of like Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up, Toy Story three. That is like golden era Pixar cars. for me. And this is Cars two. Uh, well, that came before Wall-E, uh, before uh,
0: Ratatouille. Um, yeah, Cars, Ratatouille, Wall-E, Up. Oh, that run of classics. Cars two. <laughs>
2: Hmm. But Monsters Inc did get a sequel and it will have a series up, you know, coming to Disney Plus. So I suppose yes, there are people who
0: really enjoy this one. Mm. Yeah, I mean they're making a big thing about this series coming to Disney Plus, but I I don't know. When I when I see they're making a TV show based on a an animated Disney movie, I just think, well, yeah, they always do that. Like there was an Aladdin cartoon in the 90s and Timon and Pumbaa out of cartoon. Isn't that just what they're doing here? Or is this like a proper Pixar putting some effort in level TV show? I mean, I just assume it's part of their TV wing, isn't it? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Okay, good good industry knowledge.
0: (laughs) I do agree with uh, what you were just saying there, Calvin, about how it feels like latter-day Pixar. I always think of early Pixar being real... Not low-hanging fruit but like obvious choices you know we're we're doing a toy movie Mm. we're doing a fish movie and then i always think of latter-day pixar being a bit more like we we've run out of obvious ideas so now we're just going a bit crazy and we get the likes of up an old man and a kid fly a house to a tropical world and meet a load of super intelligent dogs that fly airplanes it's it's insanity and um Mm. and you know i feel like inside out and the good dinosaur and all these kind of films that have come since are all kind of a bit more just weird and strange concepts and and monsters inc to me is that it's a fucking weird (laughs) idea for a film i suppose so because even if you think of like
1: finding nemo it's like you know a road trip thing you know with a goal you know or you search for something but it's fish and they're like that's fine uh whereas yeah yeah,
0: toy story but with fish pretty much it's the same basic plot structure and all that stuff it's yeah
1: monsters inc yeah you're right it is just a weird (laughs) like it's a self-contained thing isn't it it's like it, it couldn't really exist outside of that world
0: it's not just, you know, I get the whole monster under the bed, scare, like imaginary monsters scaring kids, all that. But, you know, I, I can see how someone might land on that. But then it's this whole idea that the monsters do it to generate electricity or energy through portals that are, you know, yeah. powered that open up through doors. And they end up getting banished to Earth and they meet <laughs> a cryptid. And it's, it's just, you know, it, it's a very weird thing film that takes a lot of strange turns and i and to I, say to say it has like those it, kind of you know? strange
1: concepts it, it doesn't it doesn't struggle to set them up in the beginning does it it feels quite mm. smooth mm. uh easy exposition we yeah it's, we sort it's of a very going on
0: it's a very blatant exposition dump up front and i i feel like pixar perhaps are a bit better than that now they're not quite as obvious as i i love the opening scene which is A kid in bed being scared by a monster but then the monster falls over and you realize it's like a training exercise and the monster's kind of Mm. not a good monster at scaring kids and he's (laughs) making a fool of himself then the uh the head of the company walks out and sort of goes of course you all know why you're here you're all here because we're monsters and we have to scare kids to create electricity and here are the (laughs) rules of how it works and that was a bit like okay and then they watch an
1: advert with them in it, just yeah, sets up yeah. the company, what's going on. Yeah. Just on the concept, just before we get into the
2: nitty gritty of the story, I think we talked about this in an earlier Pixar episode, we kind of talked about the Pixar structure of like, just starting with a concept, like, what if your toys came to life? And this this one is kind of like, what if the monster in your closet is actually really nice? It's, I don't yeah. feel like it's too far removed from what they would normally do. Um, I guess it's different in that it's not really a road trip film, which most of them are.
0: I think the difference for me is, it's like if Toy Story used the same jumping off point, but then we found out that the toys were all alive because some evil scientist had, you know, created life in toys a hundred years ago, and then they had to travel mm. back through time to figure out what it it just feels like the film takes a lot of strange turns and has a lot of extra ideas in there that all work and complement it but they they almost feel like tangents if you know what i mean and and i like mm. it for them but it, it just it feels like a much messier messy's not the right word it feels like a far more complex world i suppose than
1: well where, where yeah. Pixar succeeds is its emotional drive. You know, that's what they nail down uh, and get right so often. And I, I think here it's like, what what really is the story, you know? And it, and it seems to be about, you know, what happens when your mate has a kid and then they suddenly can't hang out with you anymore and you get jealous. But then at the end, they get rid of it. So it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the message of the film. Get rid of your kids so you can hang out with your mates more often. Hmm. Which is what we've done. Solid message. (laughs) We're sticking with that, aren't we?
2: (laughs) Uh, But it is a really nice, it's a nice twist. It's very kid-friendly as well that, uh, you know, the the monsters are actually really afraid of the kids and that a kid gets into the monster world and all the havoc that that. It's a nice Mm. subverting of those expectations. It's quite empowering for some of the younger kids watching as well, which is nice. So I think that all works very nicely for the audience that they're going for.
0: That's another point. Actually, another weird element of this film is that they believe children are all highly toxic and therefore very dangerous. Which I suppose that is, I suppose, more a a necessity of making the story work than just a weird (laughs) flourish. But
1: yeah, so we get a lot of setup here, and we set up Randall Boggs, who is the sort of the obvious antagonist. But the film doesn't really get going until this kid pops back through the door and, and we have the child in the monster world and that's when it really sort of kicks off isn't it
0: yeah i guess so it, it spends most of uh, most of its time before that just setting up the world letting you live in it a bit you see that mike is i mean he's he's in a relationship with jennifer tilley so I, d- I don't know it's it's almost treated like the stakes are a bit higher than you're almost meant to think like oh is he going to blow this date but they seem to be in a pretty yeah committed it might relationship. you're right it might
1: work better if he's finally got the date with the hot girl but he needs to really impress her so anything that goes wrong could mess it up as opposed to just going look i'm sorry love i know this is supposed to be important but there's something
0: big going off so i need to just go and sort this out Hmm. Um, I mean, basically, Sully has to cover for Mike doing his paperwork so he stays late one night so he can go off to the state, and then there's a weird door left out and a kid comes in. Yes. There
1: are some shenanigans going on with uh, Steve Buscemi's character, so that's why well, there's something going on. We don't know what it is yet, blah, blah, blah. But basically what ends up is that Sully has this little like two-year-old toddler hanging on, and uh, he has to hide it, and then basically quite quickly becomes emotionally attached to it It, it, the weird thing about the structure is i was kind of i was watching it and i was waiting for it to change like they were running away from randall blah 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 and i was like there's got there's got to be some switch here like this is only the second act there's got to be an ending and then it never
0: happened it just sort of like it just came to a conclusion
1: of that of that journey
0: i i had a thought oh this uh this setup's Going on a bit, and yeah, then I exactly. Yeah. runtime, and I was like, "Oh, we're halfway through the film." That's okay, exactly yeah. what I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> forty-five minutes in. Okay, fair enough.
2: I think to one of your points earlier on, Alan, that you said that Pixar normally always sort of start with the emotional core of it and then kind of expand it out from there. I, I do feel like this one was very much sort of grounded in. Okay, well a young kid comes into the monster world and then that's a funny concept because then we can have all these monsters being afraid of her and all that kind of stuff. And it it, it feels to me as if the emotional side of it is kind of tagged on to that. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like the concepts about the monster world and the girl coming in and all that kind of stuff are kind of where it started. And then there's, you know, okay, well, what is this really about? It's about these friends, about this monster and this girl.
1: Yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah. And it, that's perhaps a complaint that I never do quite, as much as I enjoyed the film and and kind of just go along with it, it's perfectly nice. There isn't some kind of really hard-hitting emotional core there. Yeah. Which you expect from Pixar, I guess. Mm. And I think more so than that, there is usually some empathetic nature that the audience would go, oh yeah, well, I remember
0: being a kid and I would talk to my toys or whatever, you know? I think that's there. I think the idea is you're going to go, I remember being a kid and being scared of the monster in my closet but mm. i just don't think that's as common a, or universal an experience as the film would like you to believe but i i think the emotional beats are there i think for some people the whole forming a bond with a child thing will really get them quite hard um mm. get them hard <laughs> <laughs> it's not proper <appropriate. laughs> I, I think you know it, it's not it's not something that really works for me on an emotional level. But um, that's because yeah, yeah, right. kids are annoying. Uh, yeah. Do you know what?
1: <laughs> I think perhaps we
0: as a, a bunch of barren old men are not the <laughs> <Barren>. target
1: audience. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I, I,
0: I think if I, I think if you were like a parent or you really like kids, then I think it probably would work. Although I must admit. What you're talking about, a kind of hard-hitting, emotional aspect of Pixar, I think if Pixar made this, you know, five films later, perhaps he would have to say goodbye to Boo forever at the end, and that would be the end, and there would be more reason as to why he had to do that, and, you know, that would be the point of the film, and it would end on a really tear-jerking moment mm. as opposed mm. to just they kind of have to say goodbye but then he can go back and visit her whenever he wants because it's uh, happy after. yeah all.
1: well it, it, yeah it does it has that moment where he's like oh i'm not gonna be able to see her again and then it kind of has the little happy ending add-on which yeah you're right i think pixar are a bit braver later on where they will give you the kick to the gut and that's okay mm, mm.
2: Here it is them having their cake and eating it too, whereas in future they'd wait for just the sequel to eat it. Like I look at Toy Story, <laughs> yeah, and, you know. Mm. Uh, but here, yeah, I, I mean, and I, I think that moment where he's saying goodbye to where he puts her back, it is really cute. It's probably the first Pixar film where they just about get away with a human character not looking like <laughs> some kind of horrific monster. So that helps that, as well.
0: That's the worst thing about Toy Story three. They kind of cleaned up how Terrifying Andy looked (laughs) instead of just making him look like this bog eyed, like, mannequin uh, ventriloquist dummy come to life.
2: Uh, But yeah, Boo's quite cute. I like that she has to, you know, at some point she actually does have to overcome a fear, which is quite scared of Randall, and she has to take him on. So I think that's quite nice. And I think just, you know, Sully, just as a character, he's this big, you know, friendly, fluffy, blue thing. He's very appealing character from that perspective.
0: Well, can I I mean again this is probably more relevant to the the second one, but throughout these films there's an idea that Mike isn't scary, so he's delegated to a kind of trainer role for a scary monster. Now, if both of these monsters <laughs> came out of your closet in the middle of the night, <laughs> mm. I don't know about you guys. I think I would be terrified if a giant eyeball <laughs> with spiky teeth and <laughs> horns and little gangly like spider legs and arms came out compared to like a big fluffy like a big fluffy dog, but it's blue yeah. and a kitty.
2: Mm. No, I, I, I agree with you, but uh... <laughs> <If> only <laughs> cuz
0: Sully looks like a real life mammal more or less, whereas yeah. the other thing is this alien god knows what horror from you know another world. So I never quite mm-hmm. got the idea that Sully is the really scary one and Mike isn't but anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But these films never seem to get beyond the idea that being scary is like how loud you can roar. They kind of play lip service to the yeah, idea. Yeah,
1: you're right and and specifically in Monsters University, which I did rewatch actually um yeah as well yeah. Uh, even though we're not specifically talking about it um th- in that it's kind of like that's the whole point of it you know that you don't have to be the obvious thing to fit in or you don't have to play by the rules kind of thing but it never really gets away from yeah you need to be big raw and scary you know that mm. <laughs> it, it never quite manages to uh, hammer that home
2: they're never going to actually you know terrify kids anyway like yeah. that's going to and and when it does happen in the first film when boo gets really scared it is like a big mm. moment mm. it's probably the yeah one of the bigger emotional moments in the thing so they really uh uh try to gloss over it though i think they don't want to make they yeah. don't want to make the audience scared of these
0: characters <laughs> now this is still early pixar to the point that the animation is While incredible for when it was made, and, you know, it still holds up perfectly fine, it's not perfect in the way that modern Pixar kind of is. You know, it, it, w- at the start of the film, I was thinking, "Oh, the texture on those uh, those monsters is a bit. They kind of look like plastic. They kind of look like the toys in Toy Story." And then we cut to Sully, and he's covered in fur, and I was like, "Oh, I like him. He's fluffy. They've done that really well." <laughs> um, well, I remember featurettes from the time where they were
2: talking about how uh, how groundbreaking the technology was, specifically yeah, on yeah, his
1: hair and his huge fur breakthrough, and yeah.
0: Yeah, being able to do thousands and if not more of, of fibers on screen—it's amazing that they like have that.
1: to draw every single one of them for every frame. It's—I mean, how many Koreans do you have to hire to do that? <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, you say that, but there, there was there was something about you know they needed to be sort of placed individually or something like that, or at least you know in patches mm. depending on where the joints of the model were and then they had to react to you know light and shadow and wind and all that kind of stuff and when he moves like for the just them to have the the bouncing up and down sort of stuff it, it was an awful yeah. lot of work that it's probably just taken for granted now
0: i was wondering and i suppose this is about early pixar in general rather than just this film and i realize this might sound like absolute heresy how would you guys feel if Pixar were like, we're going to do a, a full on remaster of some of our old films and we're going to go into the old digital mm. files, we're going to kind of up the textures and just make them look a bit nicer and then re-render all these old films and they'll they'll look like not modern animation exactly, but they'll look a lot less old and it'll be more or less the same exact film. Because I know I know that like George lucas stuff, I'm not a big fan of that. But video games do this a lot, where they'll just kind of remake a game and it is the exact same game, except the graphics are improved. And South Park did a very similar thing, where they went into all their old digital files and added the widescreen stuff on the sides of the screen, so it, you know, wasn't just being stretched.
2: It's this mentality, soul that has given us live-action <laughs> Lion King remakes and all these things. Oh, what if it looks more real?
0: I'm not saying, you know, I, I wouldn't say put it out as a new film, it'd just be like a remaster of the classic, you know?
2: Nah, why do that when you just can, uh, you know, get a get a little girl to run around on a green screen for a couple of days and then just build the animation around her and uh, there we go, live-action Monsters, Inc. That's not really
1: live-action. No.
0: Mm. I mean, that can't be far away from happening. <laughs> They're up to Lilo and Stitch, for fuck's sake. They're they're, they're, they're nearly done with the entire Disney catalogue, so I think they are going to be moving into weird side properties soon.
2: Can we talk about the voice cast, which, with the exception of one character um I think is uniformly quite fantastic. uh Ross yeah, is the I only I character with... that I'm <laughs> yeah not overly keen on, <laughs> but then that yeah. is obviously it's someone involved in the, the behind. It's a writer or it's something, an, uh, yeah, Bob Peterson. Yeah. uh And I just think you can tell, like, animate. You know, a lot of Pixar and DreamWorks, especially without this time, I feel like they did it quite a bit where it was just like, oh, someone on the crew just did like the. The, you know, the someone did voice, a the funny voice, voice. And, yeah, exactly. on the exactly, and, and we thought it was so
0: yeah. funny, we couldn't imagine yeah. it being done by anyone else. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, ugh, oh, what well, you should have done. <laughs> Wazowski, you didn't file your paperwork last night. Don't let it happen again.
2: Yeah, because it's just like, oh, if someone... A proper actor was doing this it'd be so much better like was Estelle Getty still alive mm. Bea was still alive you could have gotten her yeah <laughs> I, no, I completely agree I, I,
0: this isn't just me as a cranky adult who's aware of this as a kid I remember watching this and thinking oh that's a shit voice <laughs> like I remember it jumping out at me before I knew mm. who Billy Crystal was or anything like that I just remember thinking like oh I don't like that and it's because yeah. it's just... It's just a man doing a silly voice, <laughs> but he can't particularly emote when Harvey he's doing Harvey doing it.
1: Doing
2: it. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Sol, you didn't tell us Bob
2: Peterson himself was coming on the podcast <laughs> today. <laughs> um,
0: no, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think, Roz aside, it's a, a really nice job of casting. I, I will say, perhaps it's a bit obvious who they go for, compared to other Pixar movies, but you know, it's all obvious and it works. John Goodman is an obvious big warm fluffy mm. monster who can be scary when he needs to. Well he sounds like a lot like Rip Torn in
1: this film, did you did you think that? I kept thinking it was Torn's voice. No. <laughs> what? I, I never think anything is Rip Torn. <laughs> you listen to John Goodman in this.
0: Randall's your monster <sighs> You think he's going to come through the closet and scare you? Oh, boy, how do I explain this? Uh, It's empty. See? No monster in here. Well, now there is. But uh, I'm I'm not going to scare you. But that's not going to happen. Because I know about the lump in your bosom.
1: Uh, But, yeah, do you think that they wrote Mike Wazowski as an obnoxious character and then got Billy
0: Crystal? Do you think he brought that to the role himself? (laughs) I think... It was probably a bit like, ooh, we can get Bill. I, I reckon they did finesse it around Billy Crystal. Bit, yeah. <laughs> Think Albert Brooks wasn't available? <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's- Albert Brooks is too elegant. Too, Mike too w- w- <laughs> Mike's got a kind of clumsy oafness about him that you know you need someone like Billy Crystal to bring to.
2: Remember as well, Billy Crystal had turned down Buzz Lightyear... Uh, How the Toy really? Story. And, yeah, Christ. and he, he said that. He's uh, said that in interviews, and he was like, oh, so whatever they offer me next, I better take it. So this <laughs> is, well,
0: this is a callback to our Hamlet episode, um, <laughs> but we we kind of agreed that Billy Crystal, who was in uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, that's the connection mm. here, we all kind of agreed that, I mean, you liked him in that film, but we did all agree that Billy Crystal is kind of a bit, There's an air of desperation about every bit of acting (laughs) he's ever done. And that's not to say that he's bad. It's just it feels like he's trying really hard. And I didn't like that about his turn in Hamlet. But I think it works perfectly here. Because Mike is an inherently, you know, desperate Desperate. character, isn't he?
1: I think that really comes across a lot more in Monsters University again. Which I think maybe they just something they saw in the character and and went with it. They're kind of desperate to belong and, and... Whereas I think what he's supposed to be on the page here in Monsters Inc. Like they're the hot, they're the hot shit. This pair, they're, they're, everyone loves them. You know, everyone likes them as people. They're great at their job. They're yeah. famous. You know, apart. You know, there is that bit where you know he's in the, t- in the advert, but his face gets covered. But he's still super excited about it. He's a little bit
0: narcissistic, I suppose. He's very. He's got a hot girlfriend. He's going out with Jennifer Tilly. Yeah. I know she's like a Medusa with snakes for hair because it's Monster World, but. You can tell it's supposed to be like a top tier, really hot monster because it's voiced by Jennifer Tilly.
1: (laughs) I think it works, but I think he does come across as more obnoxious
0: than perhaps he was written.
2: I don't really know if I get that uh, side of
0: him. comes across as obnoxious and stuff, but I always get the sense that that's... The character, you know, as as intended. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that's just them working with what was happening in the recording studio and everything. But I, I think that character works really well. And I don't know, I I, I kind of get what you mean. It, 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 the idea does seem to be that they're hot shit and doesn't quite track with him. But I don't know, it, it works. And it works even more when you do get into Monsters University and you see, oh, they're kind of this double act that have pulled each other along. And
1: But Sully is the one he's really nice, he makes the right decision every time, he's a great guy, everybody likes him, whereas Mike is kind of pushed into doing the right thing, or, or you know, has to do it because he's in a desperate situation. You know, ultimately he's still a good guy, but it's not quite the same. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's alright, you need different characters, otherwise yeah. it'd be boring. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so we have Mary Gibbs as Boo, the small child, um, Never done anything else. Classic child star gone bad. (laughs) Started doing coke. Very difficult to work with, apparently. Very demanding. Mm.
0: She was, um, of course, I believe, a a, a kid of one of the staff on the film. Is that right? They they just... I think so. Yeah, put a microphone in front of her, prod her a bit. Bring her into the office. Let's just record her for a few hours. Show her a picture of a cat. So she says, kitty. Yeah. And, I mean, phenomenal bit of getting a performance out of a child. You know, it's clear as day they've just kind of Frankensteined what they need together, and it's a lot easier to do it with animation, but works beautifully. Yeah, I think Mm. it
1: is really nice, and I think it gives a great feel to that character. She's very passive, for the most part, you know, and she's she's not calling the shots, you know, she's not directly involved, but obviously everything is going on around her.
0: She's also too young to be able to speak properly. Other than yeah. the old, I think she says the word boo, nearly says kitty. One, says Mike, Mike, was
1: out, Mike was out. <laughs> <laughs> but I
0: think that's really good because they're getting a performance out of someone too young to speak. Um, the mm. character, therefore, doesn't communicate in English. They might as well be speaking another language entirely. But that helps keep the human world completely separate from the monster world. And yeah. I, I just think that's really nice. It works really well. Mm. To kind of build up this idea that kids are some unknown, potentially toxic. Because if they were just talking like people, it'd just be like, oh, why can't the monster world integrate with the human world? What's the problem?
1: Yeah. And I think you you have to believe that they can just put her back and it will have no consequences as well. Like, she's not going to yeah. talk. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like when you have like a dog and you have to rescue the dog. Or you're looking after the boss's dog, and then it escapes, and you have to run around town trying to get it back. It's like that kind of classic plot line. But if the dog talked with, like, Norm Macdonald's voice, it wouldn't work. (laughs) It's
0: the plot of many classic cartoons of the 30s, and probably, like, Laurel and Hardy shorts before it. Poor little laughing gravy. (laughs) Good reference. Steve Buscemi? See that's that's a great example of what I mean, like obvious casting. <laughs> and I feel like Steve Buscemi's voice never quite sits right for me in animation. There's just something <laughs> about it, it like but he is a great Randall, it does work very well. So Yeah.
2: Oh I think I think he's perfect. Like across the uh, the board with this one, I feel it's it's a real case of like I just forget about the I never feel like I'm watching John Goodman do a voice or anything like that. I just totally believe in the character. Same with Jennifer Tilly, even though I know these people from plenty of other things. I just think mm. it it marries together so well.
0: I must admit, when I when I sat down to watch Monsters University, almost every character I was going, oh god, is that is that John Krasinski? That is John Krasinski. What? <laughs> I, I was constantly being taken out of it by hearing voices. Like, who's that? Mm. Oh, it's Bill Hader. It's Bill Hader. <laughs> um, and I suppose I didn't have that in this one, but there's also way fewer characters. Mm.
1: Did you Did you think, I, this must have jumped out at you, Soul, You know, with all the, the things with the doors being flown around and you go into this big warehouse full of doors and all that. Did you think that's a very Matt Groening sort of thing to do? <laughs> that's his sort of
0: fetish, isn't it? What? <laughs> no. Is your knowledge of The Simpsons based on the Sega Mega Drive game Bart's Nightmare and yeah. having never seen the show?
1: Yeah. Bart's Nightmare, yeah. What happens in Bart's Nightmare? I'm
2: completely lost.
0: In Bart's Nightmare, um, I think whenever you go into a new level, you have a choice of, like, three doors to go through, and it'll either be, like, Radioactive Man level or Itchy and Scratchy Land level or something like that. Hmm. I, d- I mean I, d- I don't know what I don't know what Alan's on about. What, I wasn't Grayson? talking about doors specifically,
1: but the ca- Glove is a conveyor belt sort of thing with a, with people being sort of pulled around and, and all that sort what, of stuff. Because
0: because in the opening sequence, Maggie gets scanned through
1: <laughs> the <laughs> checkout. Yeah, I've seen Bart's door game and the opening to Simpsons. I never watched the actual show. <laughs> um,
2: Oh this is really sweet cuz Alan's trying to bond over animation knowledge with <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure I've heard something where Matt Groening has a real thing for like yeah processing things you know like conveyor belts I think you and might be right like I think it, it it was probably heard it in a Futurama commentary. Um, yeah I, commentary. I can think
0: of I can think of a good three instances where a character lands on like a conveyor belt in Future Armour and gets processed by, you know, robot arms or something. I feel like that must have happened on The Simpsons a few times as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe, did it happen when Homer went to hell in that Halloween special? I feel like he landed on a conveyor belt and got. No, it was an outtake in that um, clip show with all the deleted scenes. He gets chopped to little pieces and stuff. Yeah, you're right, they do do that. I
1: mean, to be honest show. with you, it's it's not like I've watched everything and worked this out. I I'm sure I've read an interview or heard something yeah. and they no, said I think, that I was think a you're particular right, actually, yeah. thing, a graining like. So, That does yeah, ring a bell. It, are, are you maybe leading that, to anyway? the
0: fact that are you leading to the fact that David Silverman is one of the directors of the of course, film who, Of course I am, yeah. Who of course
1: was Well, you tell him so. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: David Silverman is one of many Pixar people who Came up via The Simpsons. He was a, a director on The Simpsons, and then he went off to Pixar. Worked on a few films such as this, and uh, I think he actually went back to The Simpsons at a certain point because he directed The Simpsons Movie. Mm. Um, he he is the director of The Simpsons Movie.
1: They all went back for The Simpsons Movie. Oh, they all, they brought out all the old favorites. Do you know how I know that? Soul. I listened to a little podcast the other day <laughs> called called. It's probably called Development Hell. I don't know <laughs> for sure. <laughs> It was an iHeartRadio.
2: Just what we're talking about, the, uh, the the whole climax thing with the doors, though. Like, I, a, a fantastic sequence. I think that's a really great climax to this mm. film. Like, just building on yeah. stuff that's been set up earlier on, it's a great escalation. I think they, they really get the most out
0: of it. I think it's brilliant because it's really hard to think of a legitimate, big, action set piece, third act kind of sequence within this world as it's established where you just go into kids bedrooms Mm. and they construct something that's completely set up and and logical within everything we've seen but it's big and extravagant and inventive and ups the stakes and ups the ante and it's just the perfect it's taking concepts that we've seen throughout the film to their kind of furthest extreme, I suppose, and I yeah, I, I agree, it's mm-hmm.
1: great. I was a bit disappointed, though, that they sort of went into these worlds, and then nothing happened, like, so they just go into a, a room and then there's, like, the Eiffel Tower in the background and, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, mm. and then that's it, and they just come out of again, and it, it just seemed a bit pointless, like, going in and out the doors because they weren't even like, oh, we can go in that door over there, and we'll come out over here and we'll get ahead of Randall. Yeah. It just seemed so, just, oh, let's just fill five minutes with them going in and out of doors.
0: I must admit, it would have been nice if they'd really grappled with it a bit. But I think this is the earliest example I can think of, of, you know, excessive portals being played with in pop culture, which has become quite popular. You know, Rick and Morty do it all the time. The, the video game Portal is entirely based around doing that. And, the fans um, with Parabox. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: X-Men have done it, some sequences with portals. really. Good.
0: Yeah, yeah, actually some really cool ones, yeah. And, you know, this... This predates all of them.
2: Yeah, but you're right, I've never really considered that. It's the first time that, you know, before this, the only portals I can think of are kind of your standard, right, we're making a portal, go through here, and you're in a new place, and then yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Whereas this actually plays with multiple things coming in from different angles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. I agree with what Alan said as well, like, they don't do much with the kind of, you know, there's no kids in the rooms that they come
1: through It's not or even
0: anything. like, oh, Billy, improv some French. Yeah, Alan just wanted a kid, like, with a baguette and a bit of garlic in his hand <laughs> to go, like, Sacrebleu, and then they, like, go back. That's all it was missing. But. Well, if
1: you're gonna have this bedroom that has got a, a view overlooking the Eiffel Tower, you may as well just do whatever stereotype crap you want. <laughs> but wouldn't it good if they just popped out of the door and, and Mike, Mike's got, a, like, a string of uh, garlic around his... Well, he hasn't got a neck, has he? Whatever.
0: <laughs> he wanted them to, like, open a door... Into the middle of Loch Ness, <laughs> stick the head out. Someone takes a blurry photograph of the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> then they go back to the real world. <laughs> you wanted all that, didn't you? All the
1: well, yeah, use it. They do play with the uh, the old uh, what was they called cryptozoology uh, with uh, the abominable snowman mm. with uh, John Ratzenberger. Yes,
0: I love that moment. It, it's it's set up earlier on in the film mm-hmm. with a line of dialogue. It's just such a nice idea to tie it into our world a bit further. That the idea of oh yeah, monsters that we know in the real world are all from this monster world. Uh, I love that. It's such a great idea, and it's a nice change of scenery. And and it
1: is, but it's another bit that does doesn't quite go anywhere. You know, they Mm. they sort of fall out, and then they're friends again two minutes later.
0: It's like oh well, you know, it's your classic low point in the story. Drag it out a bit, you know. Nah, it's already a bit longer than I'd like that sequence. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but this, I think, this is my
0: major problem with it is just the structure.
1: Does it needs never... a rocky
0: montage, doesn't it? It needs them <laughs> to like train up and get really tough out in the snow, and then they go back like they've actually learnt something from being there. Yeah, yeah, something, some process,
1: rather than we just had to find a bedroom and get back.
0: They should have had to do a raid on the village for some yak's milk or something <laughs> that would involve them working together to scare someone or something like that
1: just to compare to monster's university again i i think i actually preferred monster's university because it had more of a structure it had more of a mm. kind of through line that i knew where it was going and i also think that the the emotional story although quite basic and we've seen it all before it did at least work, you know, it's all the steps.
0: Pe- some people are really... I mean, look, I, I feel like we kind of have to do a little quick chat about Monsters U now if we're going to get into it this much, but but I, I, I kind of agree with you there. I feel like a lot of people are really down on Monsters University for just taking this premise and making it into a kind of college movie. I don't think that's fair... But I'll I'll get into it very shortly. Um, but before that, do do you have anything else to add to this, or or should we get to our final thoughts, wrap up on Monsters Inc. Because I I've kind of said my yeah. piece here. Yeah. How does it actually end? Oh, so at the end, oh, we we haven't really talked about oh, there's,
1: there's, oh, it. Oh, turns conspiracy? out there's a whole nefarious plan with yeah. Randall and the boss uh, who are trying to basically work out a better way to extract energy from children. And that's where our protagonists draw the line. Like Frightening them is fine, but actually kidnapping them is too far. But it's all linked into this energy crisis thing. And of course, we find out that laughter is better than fear. So that's fine. It kind of makes sense within the world that we've set up. Um, But yeah, it does give us this whole kind of third act where they have to stop um, the boss guy, or Randall really, isn't it, um, from doing whatever they're actually doing, I never quite grasped. <laughs> I mean, I understood the plot elements, but it never felt like it was serious enough. You yeah. know, they're too busy fannying about with the little kids, so you yeah. you lose this. It should have been element. that they
0: were doing some ancient monster rituals that involved, you know, killing the kids and chopping them up and stuff. But <laughs> yeah. I guess that's a bit too hardcore for Pixar.
1: Well, I think that's basically what they were going for, wasn't it? That the, the Boo was going to be hurt by this.
2: Yes, it, well, that's exactly why I think it works because it makes the the ultimate threat of it sort of more relatable to kids uh, watching, mm. and it's yeah brings it home. So you can get invested in it that way.
0: They should have been sacrificing Boo to like Cthulhu, and then he could have <laughs> had a little cameo in there. But mm. yeah, I I I, uh, I just want to touch on the music really quickly as well. Ding dong. <laughs> oh no. It is of course uh, Randy Newman who was a kind of Pixar staple at this point. <laughs> he did every Pixar film up to and including this one. Can we get Randy in to sing the song for us? Because I had it in
1: my head already. Alright,
0: get him in. <laughs> uh, the the famous Monsters Inc. theme tune. Yeah, what is it? There was definitely a specific song. If I was rich man <laughs> in the monster or two we live in a monster house, not a monster zoo. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was good. They're very similar. Um, I believe that song won the Oscar that year for Best Original Song, did it? Wow. Mm-hmm. Deserved it. It did, actually. I think it's a really good song. And I want to praise Randy Newman here. I-, I think we kind of ripped the shit out of his... Sorry, Randy. I, I know you're right here, but... <laughs> we, kind of- <laughs> we kind of ripped the shit out of Randy's musical score writing abilities <laughs> in our oscars episode earlier this year i think on the grounds that it all sounds the same it all sounds like <laughs> plinky plunk toy if story I <laughs> and i think he does a really nice job here with monsters inc it's got quite a unique uh by randy newman standards jazzy feel to it it's largely quite a distinct sound compared to his other work and i think it's Nice. Can I ask did he
1: do the music for the second one? Monster University cuz that music really jumped out at me more.
0: I think he did because I remember I mean I I'm just assuming but I do remember thinking in that film every single time he tried to score an action sequence. Oh, it just sounds like a western. <laughs> it's like he's learnt, he's learned how to do a kind of toy story action sequence score and he's just stuck with it.
1: Yes. But yeah that, that music jumped out at me more and yeah there were some nice jazzy moments in that. Yeah that's
0: it. it's just what he does on the piano but you kind of mm. imagine vocal version it turns into a kind of scat song and there you go jazz. <laughs> anyway th- thanks for popping in Randy. <laughs> um we'll see you again I'm sure. Okay so there he goes that's that's what it sounds like when he walks
1: okay
0: so uh, shall we rate it yeah so i actually really didn't like this film when i was 11 or 12 or however old it was when it came out but I, I don't know, I think I just had some weird chip on my shoulder about Pixar, and I think it was more about um, it was more about Finding Nemo than Monsters, Inc. But this was sort of collateral damage in there. I think I just remember getting annoyed with Finding Nemo back in the day. So this is a, a rare instance where I've gone back to something from my childhood and, and really grown to appreciate it when I was a bit older. But, you know, I did that probably 10 years ago and and my thoughts on it haven't changed much since then but no I, I think this is just such an inventive playful great film love the concept think it's realized really well zips along for all its flaws which you know I think makes it some of the issues with the structure and the writing that we've pointed out here mm-hmm. none of them really get in the way for me because it is just such a breezy good bit of fun So no, I I think it's a wonderful film. I give it a nine out of ten.
1: Wow, I mean I I basically agree with you there, apart from the rating. So I think you're right. It's there's a bit of looseness in the structure and all that, but it's perfectly easy to watch and all fine. I give it a, a sturdy seven. Uh yeah, I, I I'm same, I, I agree with
2: most of what Sol said apart from the wonderful the wonderful bit and the rating. <laughs> I think there's a lot of fun to be had here. It's funnily enough, it's one that I used to really enjoy when I was a kid. Uh and then getting older I just I, I just don't I don't feel like there's much in here for me to relate to now. I feel like those Pixar films that I cited earlier on, Ratatouille, wall Up, Toy Story 3, I can go back to those and revisit them over and over again, and there's something quite enriching and relatable about it here. Despite it, you know, a lot of it is like workplace comedy stuff, which isn't, you know, your, your usual sort of kids' fare. I, I still don't feel like there's much there for me now as an as an adult. Uh, but mm. I think it's very sweet, it, it's still a 7 out of 10, but it's one that I've kind of fallen a bit out with as I've gotten older. And I think a part of that is quite possibly to do with the fact that it's become a franchise and that, you know, just mm. cheapen it in a way. Uh, well, Monsters University, for instance. I'm not a fan.
0: Really? See... Uh, it it feels like a standalone film from you know start to finish and obviously it was conceived as such i don't think they ever thought about sequels or anything like that when they made it but pixar is now part of disney and these things are inevitable so they have made a a sequel or a prequel rather um there was actually a, a straight up sequel in development it was in that era where Disney and Pixar were going to go their separate ways and Disney started production on its own Toy Story 3 without Pixar. Uh, they also started developing a Monsters, Inc. film. I don't know. It was something about Boo coming back a bit older or something. I don't fucking know. Um, but I think it got quite far through development, but, you know, not nearly as far as their Toy Story 3 did. And as soon as Pixar and Disney merged, they just bin the whole thing and never looked at it again. There is some concept art out there floating around on the internet for it, if, if anyone's interested. Um, but I must say, I think Monsters University is, it's a really weird way to expand this world and build it out and do something else with it. Mm. I think it works really well. I think it's a surprisingly it's like a film that shouldn't exist and shouldn't work but I think it works really well I think our discussion of Monsters Inc here keeps wading into well actually in Monsters University you see this and that which I think is largely a testament to how well it kind of integrates itself into this world I kind of agree with what you said before Alan that it's structured better I hmm. think the characterization is arguably stronger. And I think there is an argument to be made that it's a better film. I don't think it is as good, but... I think I enjoyed watching it more, but I think you couldn't have a more basic plot yeah yeah i think it's just done very well yeah. but it is also very much like let's bring this world down to the level of a kind of a high quality one but a kind of tv comedy cartoon where it's just kind of you know lots of sight gags and things and pretty simple plot to hang it on i really like Monsters university if i'm honest and re-watching it i i was struck by how actually pretty good a film i think it is um i think it's a very worthy successor to Monsters Inc., although it does feel more like a a weird spin-off than a, you know, proper part two.
2: I think that is my problem with it. Like prequels are just immediately less interesting, I think. Particularly yeah, when it comes I to Monsters Inc. It's that. like like the the previous developed project that you mentioned about Boo being a grown up and sort of exploring that, I think I don't think that would have been as good if they'd have made it then, but if the people involved, you know, the the A-Star, A-List, Pixar people came together and made that, I think that would be really interesting. But I think this just kind of shows that they don't want to get too far away from that very basic concept of, well, it's monsters who, you know, go and scare kids in the real world and we don't want to... Mm touch on melding those worlds too much. I don't think they want to go like Toy Story 3 with this property and kind of mature it. Um, yeah. It, 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 and it feels very stuck like that. And and I just think that it, by getting the voice actors back as well, they just sound older, so that doesn't work for me either when the characters <laughs> are supposed to be younger. Um,
0: I do get where you're coming from. I agree. Prequels are largely you know you're just setting yourself up to fail at best you're going to make a prequel that works you're never going to make a prequel that tops the first film uh, yeah i i think that perhaps why it doesn't bother me is i think they will make monsters inc 3 one day and i i think inevitably that will have to be set after the first film but i suppose the problem is at the end of monsters inc they're no longer scaring kids they're they're making them laugh and they've completely changed the world in which they live so anything they do will have to kind of account for that but then you know i i feel like the obvious place to go is a monsters inc that is predominantly set in the human world with the monsters getting stuck there I think I'd trust Pixar to make something like that really well if they ever wanted to go there. I, I think it will happen. I, I think Monsters, Inc. is maybe not one of their flagship franchises, but it's definitely one of the most likely to get a sequel.
1: Mm. Do you want to rate Monsters University seen as soon as we've talked about it?
0: Yeah, I, 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 I really like Monsters University. I'll give it a solid 8 out of 10.
1: Yeah, I think very solid is a good word. I, I think it's very basic in terms of its plot, but it does it well. The characters are engaging. I like the new characters they bring in. Um, yeah, I gave it a seven. The same I gave to Monsters, Inc. I, I think if I had to watch one, I'd I'd watch Monsters University, though. I think it's more engaging somehow.
0: Huh. that brand new fancy animation. You just want a Monsters, Inc. remaster, Alan.
1: I want a live-action Monsters, Inc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's
2: a six from me, which I know isn't much of a sort of come down from monsters inc and i probably spoke a bit more favorably about that one uh that's not to say that monsters university isn't good in its own way i think it's very with its concept it does it all very well and economically and it's funny in places and there's a lot of good monster gags and all that kind of stuff but i I just on a personal level i just don't want this story uh it it just feels Mm. completely futile for me in that regard i had no interest in Understanding, you know, how these characters came to be friends, how they came into their jobs, all that. And that's just the, that's my feet, my, my takeaway from it. But then I'm not the target audience for this. This is made for, you know, kids who might be go, you know, be taken to the cinema by their parents for the first time, and maybe they haven't seen the first one, so this is just it It feels like a complete sidestep in that regard, whereas if I'm going to talk about a sequel really positively Toy Story 3 feels like a real maturity, a real step forward for that series this is very much a a sidestep
1: I think it reminds Calvin of his time at university (laughs) where he was a little (laughs) swatty nerd and we were the jocks who kept picking on him. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But then he proved himself by making Bride of Vernon. <laughs> and he carried a bunch of other people with him. <laughs> Even though. It took that talented. long. <laughs> took until
2: our third year of
0: university. <laughs> yeah, so we're starting Christmas now officially at Diminishing Returns right now. We're getting into the spirit early because I think everyone that is this year because 2020's been so shit, everyone seems to be making a point of starting Christmas too early.
2: My tree's been up a week.
0: They had mince pies in the shop in October. I was furious. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what's next week then? It's our big Christmas special. There is currently, at the time of recording, another Patreon poll to select what film it is, but I'm going to assume it's the one that's currently in the lead, which means we'll be doing Die Hard 2! Oh. That's not a Christmas film, is it?
2: Nope. No, I think it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't give it away.
2: No, no, I haven't seen the film in a long time, I was just talking about the state of affairs.
0: And then after that we'll be going straight into a, a two-part review of the year episode like we did last year, and that's your real Christmas present there, that's going to be Christmas coming early. <laughs> and uh, then it's 2021, so everything will be fine then, won't it? it'll all be
1: over by Christmas.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Just one last reminder that I would be incredibly appreciative if you went to nextgreatpodcast.com, clicked on Vote Now, selected Development Hell, and then clicked Vote. That's all it takes. Nextgreatpodcast.com and my show Development Hell could go to series, which would be amazing. Not only would I get to make the show, but, you know, it'll be massively beneficial. If you're a fan of the show, should be able to get more exciting guests and things, dedicate more time to it, all of that, so please do go and vote. Thank you. Bye.